This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Muscle Bound, and the author, David Marlowe. And David joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, David. Hello, how are you, Steve? Good to have you with us. Now, let me read what you have written as an introduction for everyone so they can understand the general theme of the book. You say this. Musclebound explores gay relationships among bodybuilders who are obsessed with building muscle and getting into the best shape possible. You also say it explores the psyche of the homosexual and shows the lengths to which men will go to become muscular and therefore attractive to other gay bodybuilders. Well, David, why have you written this book? What was the motivation? Well, I wanted to explore a certain segment of the gay population two aspects. One is the, uh, in, with all the gay lip that's out there, there doesn't seem, there didn't seem to be anyone addressing the uh, subject of muscle obsession and gym addiction and steroid abuse and these various um, other aspects that have to do with physical attraction and body image. And you know, while I also wanted to explore what I call the homosexual agenda. And homosexual, although it sounds like homosexual, is spelled R-O-A-M. And it's a play on words, obviously. And what it's talking about is gay men who roam, literally, from relationship to relationship to relationship. And uh, it's, what, I, what I realize and what I've written about is that I think it is something that is kind of inherent in the male DNA, in the makeup of, of the male. Now, this takes, back, takes us back to... Uh, my original thesis, thesis, which is that we have a major cultural myth in America, and the myth is essentially this, that when we're, when we're young, we are told that we're going to grow up, fall in love with the most wonderful person in the world, and probably get married and live happily ever after. The myth that comes in there is that they don't tell the second part of it, which is that for, uh, this is just a guess, a, a guesstimate on my part, but I would say between 80, 85, 90, perhaps 95% of couples, sex life between the two of them and physical attraction between the two of them becomes routine somewhere after two days, two weeks, two months, or two years after they get together. Now, when you have a male and female situation, like 90%, we can assume, of, of relationships are, by the time that that routine sets in, People are usually kept in a codependency based on mortgages, children, the car, their jobs, whatever it might be. When you have two men who are together in a gay relationship, they, that once the sex becomes routine, then there is, there, is either no, there is no reason to stay together anymore unless they stay together possibly as companions or roommates, which is a very common and common, uh, condition in the gay community. So in your book, you explore your thesis through three different main characters. Uh, let's first talk about Chase Hyde. Okay, well, Chase Hyde is the uh, proponent of, of the, the, the piece and, in, in a sense, the anti-hero because uh, he is the, almost the founder of the homosexual club. It is his 
particular desire to not want to settle down. But he understands that what that 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 the essence of man is to want to roam. In the same way, a bull never never has sex with the same cow twice. Um, and, and the way lions like to go from pride to pride, have eaten sex with every female before moving on to the next pride, so too, I believe, men are wired to go from relationship to relationship to relationship and not really settling down. What you have essentially is, I mean, the big joke between uh, about gays and lesbians is, I mean, gay men and lesbians, they say, what do lesbians bring to a second date and the answer is a u-haul truck because women are nesters and when lesbians get together they often settle down very quickly and last for a long long time maybe even forever because they are by uh, inherently and by nature nesters the answer the second part of that joke is what do gay men bring to a second date and the answer is what second date <laughs> now i also thought that this was perhaps just a gay thing but then i re- remember back flashback to high school and i remember a, a big locker room joke in high school what is the definition of eternity eternity is the time it takes for him to come and her to leave so it is it, it is a male thing and uh men trained by, by by female back when they decided that marriage was an institution that kept families together kept disease from running rampant, and that's why it was established. But in the gay world, you don't have the same rules applying. Now, let's talk about who you call the hopeless romantic Hunter Rowe. Yes, Hunter Rowe is, is kind of the, anti- the opposite of what, of what Chase is. While Chase is determined to just sleep with as many attractive men as he can in, in, in his sexual lifetime, Hunter has this romantic vision of finding the one true love of his life and settling down forever. And what, and what he does is he works very hard once he meets Chase, Chase Hyde, to foment this relationship, to make it grow, to make it prosper, and to make it succeed. However, what you find in the, in the, in the, in the second act of the book is uh, he finally wins Chase over and Chase finally actually decides and tests himself, you know what, I really love this guy, maybe monogamy is such not such a bad gig maybe it can be done after all and what happened then is you get what Stephen Sondheim in his clever lyrics said I've got those gee why don't you love me oh you do I'll see you later blues and so Hunter actually disengages from Chase when he realizes that he can have him because I guess having him is not what he really wanted after all now and he's just another homosexual out there on the market now, we have another main character, Kristen Falconer. Now, he has a real conflict because of religion? That is correct. Kristen Falconer is, was brought up in kind of with a, a fundamentalist background, with a, a deeply religious mother and, uh, and a very stern father. And I wanted to, uh, to offer what is for many men a very, very difficult time in coming out. I mean, I think everyone can, can understand and empathize with the, the difficulty that men have in uh, all women that have it in coming to, to terms with their gayness because it is so different from what everyone else is feeling or supposed to be feeling and doing. Uh, in fact, there's this rash we've been having of, of teenage suicides that have been in the, in the news over the, over the last few months because of uh, people uh, discovering their homosexuality or whatever it is and killing themselves over it. Um, just, just put the spotlight on the problem. Now, we have another uh, news kind of tie to all of this, and with this obsession of just looking the best, many uh, gay bodybuilders get heavily involved with steroids? 
Well, yes, uh, they do. I mean, that, that is a gay and straight thing. I mean, the, uh, a straight men do it as well. But the, the interesting thing about that is that, uh, you know, I'm always curious. Uh, that one of the, what Chase Hyde said in the book about bodybuilders, and when it comes to bodybuilders, he felt that all men are either gay or Jews. And by that, what they mean is you speak to a, a gay bodybuilder who said that he is doing it, he is getting into the best shape because he wants to attract women. Now, that is something of a fallacy in the sense that, sure, I think women very often like uh, men who are, who, who are well-developed and in good shape. I don't think they like the hyper-super-muscles, especially the, the big uh, muscle monsters that, that are created from steroids, but they, do, they can appreciate a, a, a well-built body. The reality, though, is that they, they, it is a priority that is way down on their list after security, intelligence, sense of humor, uh, you know, the ability, compassion, empathy, all these other things that, 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 that women look for in men. And whereas men, on the other hand, uh, the physical thing is, for, for both straight and gay men, the physical attraction thing is way up there at the top, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty close to the top there, almost, but nothing else supersedes it. Men are more shallow than women because they're looking for its physical attributes first, and every and then if the rest of the package comes along, then then they're happy about it. Where for women, they are interested in 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 other aspects about a man. Now, you believe that uh, other gay books have uh, really not touched on muscle muscle obsession, gym addiction, or this steroid abuse. Uh, that makes you your book really different from uh, the rest. Yes, I think it make, does make it stand out. They get, get books about men in great shape and so on, but they're not talking about this. It kind of has as its as its background the the entire um, muscle obsession thing, the the building of it, the maintaining of it, and the looking for it in other men. You make this statement: uh, intimate relationships are hard and require a lot of work and sacrifice. So it's that seems to be kind of flying in the face of uh, what homosexuals are trying to achieve well i couldn't agree with you more i think that 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 is what it is that uh, i what it, the cliche is <laughs> the essence of relationship and i think that is quite true and i think relationships take a lot of uh, a lot of effort a lot of patience and a a lot of understanding i think you know back to when we're, when we're growing up and we're being taught what's going on and everything, no one really gives us a, a map or outline of, of, of what to expect. And I think that's true in both straight and gay circles. However, in gay circles, it's even less so because what, what you're, all you're told really is that it's the worst thing in the world. Ten-year-old boys uh, fooling around in the playground when they talk about things, the worst thing they can call one another, say, oh, that's so faggy, or be called a faggot is like the worst thing in the world. And and even if someone's sexuality, you know, is not in question, it's just a pejorative uh, that is there. And that's why a character like Christian Falconer, who has won his, his Christian guilt because of his, his uh, what the what the far right in the country ha have given and the religious right in the country have given homosexuals to place that guilt on them. And then just becoming to terms with with your sexuality and your true essence in, uh, in general makes it very difficult for people. Do one of these characters... Uh fit david marlowe well you know what uh, i've written five novels now and i'd have to say that in every one of my books are at least part autobiographical and that you even when you create characters or take uh 
look at, you know, say a friend or, or an acquaintance or someone you know and you take aspects of their personality or aspects from several people's personalities and put them together into one character. There is always a great deal of view that you put in all your characters, whether male, female, straight or gay, young or old. So I think, yes, part, part of that is, uh, it's safe to say, is, is, uh, you know, is, is comes from, from myself. What was one of the uh, greatest challenges in writing this book? Why well, did just just you know? I think for, for, what I've done is I've been very fortunate because I'm, I'm, you know I hear about people staring at the, a, a blank white page, and I've never had that. I've never had what they call writer's block. The muse has been with me every time I sat down to write, and what I do is uh, my my work habit is is always the same. I, I take get up, I make breakfast, I bring it to the computer, I read the the, the day before. The, the writing I did the day before, and then I go on and I forge ahead and do the, uh, the next four pages, at least. You know, I make set a minimum, minimum for myself, and I continue on and on, and then once I have a beginning, middle, and end, that is, uh, or, you know, what is essentially a rough draft, that is my favorite uh, part and the favorite point, because at that point, then you start going back and forth and start um, rewriting and, and, and putting it all together and making it all jive. And talking about uh, men, uh, homosexual men, who are really attracted to uh, muscle, uh, but you say few of them really do anything about it. Yeah, I think that is true. I think that a lot of men, I mean, if you, it's interesting. There's a, a feeling in our society, I think, that, that if you, you see men who are in great shape, and after a certain age, like men over 35, 40, 50, if they're still in great shape, they're skin, they can often come with a suspicion that they may be gay because why else would they be doing it and so it's uh, you know it's, that, that that is what i kind of address in the book david what are some of your closing thoughts well just that it's um, i wanted to present a situation that is out there and hasn't been explored yet in this uh this thing about the homosexual who essentially goes from man to man to man to man and wanted to write about a particular man who part of the dichotomy with men is that there is especially if you see it online you see uh, people trying to connect and what they're saying in their profiles is looking for an LTR looking for a long-term relationship but for them the long-term relationship often doesn't last much past 30 seconds past orgasm and I wanted to explore that because what they're saying is although they think that's what they want because that's what society has told them that what they want what they really want is to be able to Enjoy the adventure of the next, uh, the next romance, the next mini romance, the next conquest, the next sexual uh, tension. Do you have a website? I do have a website. It's www.davidmarlow.com, and that's M A R W. And uh, you can order my books from there, or from the iUniverse website, or from Barnes and Nobles, or Amazon.com, or any of them. Well, David, we really appreciate you being with us on iUniverse Radio. Well, it's been my pleasure. I thank you for the interview. That was David Marlowe. He is the author of his book, Musclebound. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Get ready for the Not-So-Soccer Mom, Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central, on Toginet with Jill Hickey. 
You name it, from politics to pop culture to Jill's search for the perfect bronzer and chicken salad. The not-so-soccer mom will weigh in on it all. The sentence, I have no opinion about that, is one that Jill has never uttered. In the early 90s, Jill finally decided to put her thoughts, opinions, mom advice, love of pop culture, hummus, and Starbucks, working out, cosmetic shopping, and politics into an actual website, and thus, notsosoccermom.com was born. Shortly after her fourth child, a boy, Jerome, now she's really got tons of topics to share with you. This is Laugh Out Loud Funny, and we're not kidding. What's a loud Nebraska girl who lived in Little Rock for many years and now is up in the Northeast doing, chronicling her opinions on everything? The wheels aren't off yet, but it's close. It's the Not-So-Soccer Bomb with Jill Hickey, Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central, on toginet.com. Innovation and insight, problems and solutions, capitalizing on your ideas and efforts. That's all a part of Changing the World One Invention at a Time with Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 Central on toginet.com. Rick will be sharing stories of innovation, invention, inspiration, and overcoming obstacles with guests who have been there, done that, and are doing that. Rick will be asking the right questions helping you identify the real problems and showing you how to act on your ideas by increasing consumer confidence and, more importantly, increasing your confidence to act on your ideas. For even more information, go to thinktech, that's T-E-K, globally.com. Then join us as Rick and his guest teaches how to develop new ideas and create new products, new businesses, new jobs. And together, let's get our economy growing again. It's changing the world one invention at a time with author and inventor Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Homecoming, and the author is Sue Ann Bowling, and Sue Ann joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Sue Ann. Hello. Well, good to have you with us. Uh, Let me read some that you have written about the book Homecoming. This is what you say. This is a science fiction novel, but it is about people, even though they aren't all human. It is also a coming-of-age story, though probably unlike any you've read before. In some ways, the topic itself is unusual. One reviewer commented that just as you think you see shades of Oliver Twist or Harry Potter, you realize that this is something quite different. Another is the way the three separate stories come together. It's hard to talk about it without spoilers, and it's unusual to have a protagonist so handicapped, yet with such unusual intelligence and abilities. Well, a complex story, but a science fiction thriller, an epic kind of uh, treatment. Why did you write the book, Sue Ann? Well, the book has been slowly coming into my head for about 30 years, and I started writing it down about 16 years ago. Decided to start with Roy's youth, and uh, this is what eventually came out of it. Well, you have quite a science background yourself, Dr. Bolin. Tell us about some of your background that kind of lent itself to helping you formalize uh, this very complicated science fiction story. Well, I majored in physics and was actually in the physics department at the University of Alaska as a faculty member for almost 30 years. Had to retire a bit early because of uh, uh, diabetes and vision problems. 
But I actually started writing Homecoming while I was still on the faculty. Also, I've been very interested since junior high school in genetics, uh, which also plays a part in Homecoming in that the main character, Roy, is suffering from a genetic problem that he does not affect him but could affect any children he has. Well, let's talk about the the characters and in getting to know the characters we'll start to understand the some of the themes of the story now let's talk about lie tell us about lie he's the only one of the purebred real nigh now tell us about real nigh i am assuming that the human race both ours and the one that i talk about in this story were actually produced by a hybridization of a realian named yarn who was stranded on Earth during the last interglacial and interbred with the proto-humans, but very early humans that he found there. And their descendants, some of them stayed on Earth and eventually became us, but some of them followed him back to the stars where they colonized a large group of stars, probably several hundred light years across, which eventually became the Confederation. They had some problems there. There was another race, not in an inimical race, but just not compatible with humans. They go through a stage in their reproduction when the nervous system and the body are separate, and the nervous system is capable of infecting humans, though not the real nine. But the real nine could detect infected humans and treat them, and... uh, Basically, the humans came to rely on the Romans to do this, and also to prevent the human planets from making war on each other. Now, some 10,000 years ago, an epidemic struck the Romans, which killed many of them off. They found a cure with the aid of the humans, but they simply weren't enough of them to keep up their guardianship. So they began rehybridizing with their human part descendants, and this produced the Rilnoids, uh, who are now doing the job of keeping the human planets from warring on each other, kind of a interstellar United Nations, if you like, and also protecting them from the moths. So they are essential for the survival of the human race, but they are not really ruling it because the individual human planets have, com- have complete freedom in their own on their own planets. But this, the real nine handles strictly the relationships between planets and between the humans and the monks. Well, tell us about Lai. He is a survivor. He's the last survivor. The last survivor. But he right. still feels. Bill and I have been slowly dying off ever since the plague. And but, he is the last survivor of a species that is going extinct. But he still feels bound to his race's responsibility to the Confederation. Now, why is that? Human beings would never have reached the stars on their own without the help of his predecessor. In fact, there is kind of an agreement among the races of the galaxy that no race is to be allowed to have anything to do with various interstellar races until they have achieved 
star flight on their own. The assumption is that any race that can survive to produce star flight is not going to be a warlike race. Now, does he have some uh, powers? He has some mental powers, which we would refer to as a telepathy, telekinesis, levitation, and many of the realnoids also have this power. Also, they, they don't age. They're not immortal by any means. They can be killed, but they do not die of old age. Now, tell us about Snowy. Snowy is a slave boy. He has some rather odd talents, but he doesn't understand. All he knows is that his mother told him he'd be killed if anyone ever found out about them. One of these is that he feels the emotions of anyone near him or anyone at any distance that he knows closely and is a good close friend with. And for a slave, this can be very upsetting. It's not necessarily a positive ability. He also has an ability to heal broken bones and things like this, which is very useful for a slave. And there's Marna. Marna is also Rillian, but she is from a completely different group. Um, In fact, before Yarn's time, a couple of hundred thousand years ago, um, her group settled a totally different planet, Rhea, which is well outside the boundaries of the Confederation and completely unknown to it. But there has been an epidemic on that planet, some disease that was just totally novel to them, and basically wiped out the entire population of the planet. Barna survived, and it's been about 200 years now, solely because she was on an isolation satellite studying a different disease. She's a healer by training, but the, um, the life support system of the satellite gave out, and she was forced to return to Rhea, fully expecting to die very quickly, and she didn't. So she is trying to survive, being the only one of her species yet alive. Physically, it's no problem. The planet was basically run by robots, and they're still working. And In fact, very, very happy. If robots can be happy, they seem to be happy to have her back, back to give them orders. But uh, she's frantically trying to keep herself distracted. Now, the only way that the Confederation and, and humanity can survive is if they learn to work together. Uh, this is part of the plot. Right. Basically, Live discovers the existence of other real lives and goes hunting for them and is able to save Marna. Now, there's some, pro- there's some problems in that they... She doesn't want to go back with him. He doesn't want to stay with her, and so on. But they do wind up. And the common thing about it, this might be a spoiler, but they they eventually all three of them come together. Now tell us about this genetics board. The assumption is that I'm developing a society which is rather different from ours in some ways. And one is that the genetics are the primary concern in having children. Um, Basically, the genetics board has to approve any mating which involves a realnoid or or a pure realnian. 
And in fact, they will sometimes require meetings where the individuals involved would just as soon not. Sue Ann, you have a specific philosophy that helped you to create this theme in your book. Tell us about that. One of my favorite authors is Mercedes Lackey, and I'd like to quote a bit from her because I think she's kind of got it in a nutshell for storytelling. Make your audience identify with and care deeply for a character and then drop a mountain on him. Well, that has actually been the philosophy of good storyteller back to at least Homer. And that's what I've tried to follow in making uh, all of my characters very real, very much person, though they're not all human, and faced with problems, most of them mental, so to speak, rather than physical, but some physical problems, too. Now, one of the themes in your book deals with fundamentalism, extremism, uh, that you say is in any religion. Well, I'm saying it is a possibility in any religion. Um, Let me see if I can find a bit, if I just marked it. (laughs) Probably didn't. Um, but basically, at what, there is a point at which I believe shades into I know, which is fine, but then I know shades into anybody who doesn't believe exactly as I, what I know to be true is a devil or even inspired by one, and it deserves to die. And that is the point that you really have to be careful you don't step over. You say that one of the most controversial aspects of your book, the message of your book, is family relationships. Right. Basically, I have not used a standard two-person children family because it wouldn't work with two species like the humans and the real mummy. Basically, you've got one species which is extremely long-lived, the Ronian women are only capable of having a child about once every hundred years. Among other things, that means that for, for the Ronai, it was automatic that it took about 50 years for a child to reach the point where he was able to, pick, to be completely mature. But by that time, Generally, the, the individuals who are, whose parents would have separated, and in fact, it was considered immoral among the real not for a woman to have more than one child by the same man. And you've got the situation in humans where you normally have several children who are immature and needing aid at the same time. They frequently need aid from both parents so that the two parents have to stay together to raise the children. What I've used is a kind of a combination of those two that basically the genetics board is responsible, among other things, for making sure that every real crossbred child has a secure, loving home, but not necessarily with the genetic parents. The title of the book is Homecoming, and the author is Sue Ann Bowling. Sue Ann, tell us how to get your book. Well, the first thing to do is to go to my website, which is www.sueannbowling, and that's bowling spelled as in bowling alley. 
And from that, you can actually reach a number of other websites, including my Facebook page, um, my professional page back when I was working at the Geophysical Institute, um, some genetics articles that I have up on the web, so on. And it's got a page on the site on how to get the book for Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or iUniverse. I try not to mail it too much from here simply because I live in Alaska and mailing anything from Alaska is a pain in the neck. <laughs> well, Sue Ann, we appreciate you being with us on iUniverse Radio. Well, I appreciate the chance to talk to you. That was Sue Ann Bowling. She is the author of her book, Homecoming. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Yes, why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Girlfriend It is on Togginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, with your hosts Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The girlfriend at principal was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out girlfriended.com. And then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to them like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to have somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The name of the book, She's No Angel. And Helen Rose Evans joins us. She put this book together for her late brother who wrote these stories. And she joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Helen. Hello, and how are you? Well, I'm just doing great, and uh, good for you that you were able to do this for your brother. He passed away in 2000. Yes, he did. Let's see. His name is Edward John Israel. 
I-Z-R-A-E-L. Yes, I-Z-R-A-E-L. A little different right. uh, in spelling uh, with the pronunciation of Israel. I want to read just a few of the things you've written to kind of set the stage for our discussion of this book, She's No Angel. Mm-hmm. You call the book the best way to describe it. There's adventure, mystery, it's heartwarming, happiness, sadness. Uh, because we're dealing with a couple of plays and uh, several short stories. You, you say it will take you places you've never been. It will make you think of yourself at times as you travel through each page, each story, or play. It's one of a kind, and you won't fall asleep with this novel, for it will have you either laughing or wondering what is on the next page as you travel with Edward John Israel's Dreams and Adventures. So these are your brother John's Dreams and Adventures? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Yes, and uh, he was the type of person that he was always thinking, always uh, finding different ways to uh, advance himself, you know. Um, He was always writing, always writing. And you were surprised, though, to find these, weren't you? Correctly, I was. I never knew he did all this until I found, received his manuscripts that actually he wrote about each story. And myself, I felt that um, I could or would try to have it turned into a novel to proceed with his stories as a memory of him. And... Uh, fulfilling his dreams that he was with us once upon a time. Well, it's a great tribute to your brother, so congratulations to him and congratulations to you. Thank you. (laughs) Now, as we said, this book has several short stories and it also has a couple of plays. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, some of them just to give everyone an idea of of the uh, type of story they are. Now, like the first one is A Boy's First Tractor. Now, what is this about? Well, this this, uh, first tractor is when he was a child. He was, oh gosh, I don't know. Probably four or five years old, and we lived on a farm, 100-acre farm here in London, uh, in Glencoe, Ontario, in Canada. <coughs> Excuse me. And my father would work on the fields, and of course, my brother was always interested in you know, what he was doing. He was always around him. So, this one time, my dad took him on the tractor, and that, that's where the title comes from. So and this they is on, they worked on the field back and forth. <laughs> this is <laughs> what Edward. the first tractor meant to your brother Edward. Yes. Let's see. We have another one called, which is after the title of the book. She's no angel. Now, who's she in this? Okay. Now that leads you into a person that is a chain smoker, and they're trying to. Um, uh, quit smoking, so they decide, or someone uh, would introduce you to a, to a place. So it actually involves my brother. Uh, he went to a clinic, and he met this lady. She was real pretty, blonde uh, hair, blue eyes, and you know, real young. So to him, she looked like an angel. 
So, to kind of give you a rough idea about this, uh, when he got to this clinic, she took him into her room, and she gave him a whole bunch of packages of cigarettes, and he, she closed the door and told him he can smoke all he wants, and then he's going to be watching a film. Besides the desk where all these cigarettes were, there was a bucket. But this is as far I'm going to tell you. Where uh, she did turn out not to be an angel. Uh-oh. She didn't. You'll have to buy the book to read the right, rest of it. Right, <laughs> right. Well, and these are true stories, aren't they? Yes, they are. These yes, are true are. stories that your brother Edward, he experienced. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, they are. Well, we have another one called The Reunion. Uh, The Reunion is, uh, no, I don't know too much of that one. Um, I believe it's meeting up with his colleagues, like, um, oh, he he taught school and that, uh, and St. Catherine's, Ontario, here in Canada. And I believe what that is, it's uh, like a reunion of a high school or a public school. It's a story roughly about that. Um, I don't know much, too much of it. Okay, all right. I would have to read it again. (laughs) All right, and then there's there's another one called the Ice Baby. Now, what's that about? Ice ice Babies, uh, I believe that... Takes you into farming, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it's it's got something to do with uh, harvesting vegetables, etc. You know, uh-huh. and stuff like that. Yeah, just um, I really have forgotten myself. I haven't read it for a while, so okay, it really fulfill you with with ice babies. Yeah. And then there are a couple of plays. One is Grandmother. This Was this about his grandmother, your grandmother? I don't think so. I think it's just more of an experience probably with uh, his teaching because he used to teach theater arts in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia. And I think he can relate to that in, in some ways, as far as the plays go. Okay, and then we have another play called The Rifle. Yeah, that would be similar, same basics, I would say. Like, um, like I'm a sitting, I haven't read those two for a long time. Well, this is a real tribute to your your brother, a real tribute mm-hmm. to him of, of getting these published for him. What did your brother do? He was a teacher, a French English and a French teacher in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia. He lived there at Langley, British Columbia. Yeah. And he was uh, into uh, counseling. He was into theater arts and uh, as a French teacher. And he also um, acted in a play called The South Pacific. And like in, then he went into um, teaching theater arts, and this is where he had plays similar like The Fiddler on the Roof, South Pacific, and you know, a few other ones that you know you would see on TV or whatever in theaters. Mm-hmm. Well, you say his mind was always working even when he was a small infant, he was just always thinking and creating. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, he was. 
<laughs> we couldn't we couldn't figure him out because uh, he his little hands. You know how you um, uh, turn your hands to put a light bulb in. Right. Okay, well, his little hands were always going like that. So that meant he was thinking of something. <laughs> and he was still in his little crib. <laughs> Isn't that just like a, the light bulb was, you know, the lights were yeah. coming on, right? He was thinking exactly. of a new idea. Exactly. <laughs> well, my, my grandfather said that he can be a professor. <laughs> well, my and he was a teacher, so, you know. Yes, he, yes. yes. He, he became uh, much more than what he at first uh, grew up as, and he had. Uh, he, you say his determination was not to be a farmer. Exactly, exactly. No, he. Uh, my mother wanted him to become a farmer, to stay in you know, on a farm, to keep it going. He said, "No, he's going to study hard, and it's going to be something else." So he turned out to be that. This is called She's No Angel, huh? several short stories and a couple of plays. Uh, we have A Boy's First Tractor, She's mm-hmm. No Angel, The Reunion, The Ice Baby, and we also have a couple of plays, Grandmother and The Rifle, The Thoughts and Dreams, and and just the desires of Edward John Israel. That's correct. And this is... His sister, Helen Rose Evans, and she helped get this published for her brother. Tell us how to get your how to get the book. Tell us, Helen. How to get the book? Well, they can go online and internet with I University Publishing. It could be on Noble. Can be on uh, on uh, Amazon. And now, if they get in touch with those. Um, I'm sure that it will come up online. I have a, I have a, a poem, like I do uh, poetry part-time, whenever it comes to me. <clears throat> May I read it to you? Sure. Okay. Now, this is dedicated to my brother after he died. Okay, it's called At Peace by Han Rose Evans. Now I am at peace. I have taught and sung a song. Now am at peace, oh peace. Nothing like being cradled by the Lord. Now I'm at peace. I have danced and played, walked here and there. Now at peace, Lord of heaven. Grant me peace, I bow to you, Lord. Born with sin, purified by you. Now I'm at peace. No more tears, no more pain, nor light or darkness. I'm created by my Lord. Now I'm at peace. Amen. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, Helen. I know that you were very close to your brother, and just everything that you've been able to do has really made you probably feel even closer to him. Yes. Well, thanks for being on iUniverse Radio. Oh, yeah, thank you very much for calling and having me on there. And you folks have a good day. Bye-bye now. That was Helen Rose Evans. She has published her brother's book, She's No Angel. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.